I'm reading Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, and chapter 2, 13 to 23. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. I'm reading now from chapter 2, verses 13. Now, after the wise men had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he'd learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who are seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. Are you sitting comfortably? Good, then I shall begin. 
Joseph's dream. I've heard it said that you should never trust what you remember from a dream because the boundary between reality and fantasy stretches thin in those hours of darkness. But for me, dreams have always seemed somehow more real than the events of the daytime. Maybe it's because my name is Joseph. My parents called me that after that great dreamer of old, whose teenage dreams of sheaves in a field and of the, the sun and the moon and the stars bowing down before him created in him some capacity to see beyond the now to futures yet to be. It all led to him interpreting the dreamings of none other than the Pharaoh of Egypt himself, you know. So yes, if you want to call me Joseph the Dreamer, that's fine by me. They've called me that all my life. I've had many dreams, but chief among them was my dream for a family, of a wife, children, a home of happiness and contentment. And it seemed as if that dream was coming true when I became engaged to Mary, a young woman from a respectable family. I paid her father the required betrothal payment and then began the period of waiting for the appointed time of the marriage to arrive. Poor Jacob had to wait 14 years before he could marry his Rachel. But unlike Laban of old, Mary's father was an honourable man, and so there was to be no surprise substitutions or unexpected delays. We agreed on a, a standard one-year betrothal. But the dream didn't last long, and Mary was found to be with child. And the thing is, I'm pretty sure it wasn't mine. And then to make it worse, I found that the law is very clear on what should happen next. I even went to the synagogue and asked the rabbi to check on the scroll of the law for me. And he read to me, if evidence of a young woman's virginity is not found, they shall bring her to the entrance of her father's house and the men of the town shall stone her to death. It's there in the book of Deuteronomy. Whoever heard of such a thing, surely no one would do that these days. I mean, the Romans would never allow it, would they? But I could still imagine the scandal that would engulf Mary and her family if news of this got out. And none of this, none of this was part of my dream. So I found another way. I would just relinquish my claim on Mary leave her father with the betrothal payment, have a private bill of divorce drawn up, signed by two witnesses, leaving Mary free to marry another, maybe even the father of her child. Such things matter to people, and they mattered to me. Children should be with their parents, everyone knows this. Society relies on fathers taking responsibility for their own children. It's always been this way. 
And then I had one of my dreams. And this one was more real, more vivid than any I'd had before. And it seems I am to be a father after all, and with Mary too. This child of hers would become mine, and through me would, would become a son of David and an heir of Abraham. Well, I've had worse dreams. Despite it all, I still wanted Mary, and an early child in marriage is no bad sign of blessings still to come. And not all families have straightforward stories, do they? And many great men have had complicated origins. After all, Plato, Alexander the Great, Romulus, even Caesar Augustus, all these were said to have been conceived from the gods. And within our own Hebrew Bible, we have the stories of Sarah and Leah and Rebecca and Zipporah, each of these visited by the Lord before conceiving their sons, Isaac, Reuben, Jacob, Esau, and Gershon. Did I really believe the angel in my dreams claimed that Mary's child was conceived of God? Does it matter? I just know that I heard the call of God to be a husband and a father. And my dream began to merge once again with my life. A family, it occurred to me as I lay in my bed that night, is something called into existence by God. Not willed into existence by a man. And I resolved that this son of mine, for such the angel had said he would be, would be mine more truly than if I'd made him myself. I'm told that parents who adopt a child often feel this way, as if the act of choosing somehow matches or even exceeds the act of creating. After all, are we not all God's children, chosen in grace and adopted into love? Is this not what it means to be part of God's family, God's chosen people? One of the privileges of fatherhood is that of naming the child, and my angel helped me here too, echoing to me words spoken in dreams to others. You understand, I've made something of a study of these things, and according to our traditions, the Lord came to Moses' father in a dream, telling him that this child, Moses, shall deliver the Hebrew race from their bondage in Egypt. And similarly, the great hero Samson's birth was also revealed in a dream as an angel came to her and told his mother that she would conceive and bear a son and that it is he who shall deliver Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So the angel in my dream told me that my betrothed would bear a son who will save his people from their sins. The angel told me also that I should call him Jesus, after Joshua of old, who led the people of God after Moses into the safety of the promised land. 
Well, I have to admit that at this point in my dream, I nearly woke myself up. I mean, taking on a child and a woman I love is one thing, but comparisons with Moses and Samson and Joshua, these are something else altogether. But the angel hadn't finished with me yet. This talk of salvation needed some explaining because the Romans and the Greeks had already declared their gods of Asclepius and Zeus to be the saviors of the people. And the emperors in Rome exercised this salvation on their behalf. Any suggestion of an alternative saviour born from among the Hebrew people could quickly become treasonous, and no son of mine was going to face that fate if I could help it. Enough with this angel and this dream. It's time for some sober reality now in Joseph's family. Except the angel wouldn't let me go. And for a time, our spirits wrestled as the angel sought to keep my dream alive, and I struggled to break free. But then the angel spoke again, this time quoting from the book of the prophet Isaiah, speaking words originally shaped for that evil king Ahaz of Judah, way back before the Babylonians laid waste to Solomon's temple, to a time when the Assyrians were besieging the northern kingdoms of Israel. Isaiah back then had prophesied to Ahaz that a young woman was with child and would bear a son and his name would be Emmanuel and that this child would be a sign of either deliverance or destruction before the child reached maturity. God had offered Ahaz a possibility of deliverance, and whilst the child of promise had indeed been born to his wife, his faith had faltered and Judah and Jerusalem had fallen too. This is what the angel quoted to me. And the message was clear. My child of promise would succeed where Ahaz's had failed. Isaiah's prophecy to Ahaz became the words of the angel to me. My task was to keep the faith, to hold on to the dream of a better future for God's people. What such a future might look like not even I can begin to imagine, but I have some convictions about what it won't be. It seems to me that for too long, those called and chosen by God to be part of God's family have lived under a system of domination. From Egypt to Assyria, from Babylon to Greece to Rome, the world's kingdoms have existed in opposition to God's dream of people living in peace and justice and righteousness. And for too long, God's people have resisted God's dream of a better future, being led astray by the competing dreams of power and privilege that have their origins in the nightmares of imperial aspirations. So what did this angel mean when they said that my child would save God's people from their sins? This may be one of those things that, as Mary sometimes puts it, we just need to treasure in our hearts, dear. 
But it seems to me that God's salvation must surely look like an alternative empire. A way of existing in the world where the dominating powers of Rome and Babylon and Egypt give up their claims on human lives. And people are freed to experience life in all its fullness. But here I'm, I'm dreaming again. And how this is related to my child, only time will tell. But I can tell you, however, that the angel hadn't finished with me yet. I did as I had been asked. I took Mary as my wife and Jesus I adopted as my child and we stayed in Bethlehem intending to return to Nazareth in due course. But then this system of domination flexed its muscles against us as our own king, the great Herod, heard from travellers from the east that a child had been born who embodied a new vision of what God's people could be, a vision that threatened his carefully negotiated power as a puppet king of Rome. And so the angel's command came to me as it had done to my namesake Joseph of old. And so we set off for Egypt of all places, to escape Herod's murderous intent. I heard later what he did to the babies of Bethlehem, as he channeled Pharaoh of old in destroying the children of the Israelites, and my heart breaks for those children and their parents. Why did my angel not warn them too? I have no answer, just a hope that in the salvation of our child will come, as with Moses of old, some consolation for those who mourn in Israel, for Rachel who weeps for her children. Moses led the people out of slavery in Egypt. Can our son in some way also lead people out from their own imprisonment to forces of evil. Is this what the angel meant by saying that our child would save God's people from their sins? I thought by then I'd heard the last of my angel. But to my surprise one night, I, he came back to me in another dream, telling me that it was time for us to return to our homeland. And we set off, and trust me, it is a long journey. It didn't take us 40 years like it did Moses and the people of Israel after the Exodus, but it was no easy thing to do. And as we neared Judah, we started to hear that Herod's cruel son Archelaus had replaced his father, having gone to Rome to be confirmed as king in his place. Did you know that a delegation of Jews went after Archelaus to appeal to the emperor, saying they didn't want this man to be their ruler? The angel came to me one final time in another dream as we journeyed up from Egypt. The angel told me that we should avoid Judea and Jerusalem, and so we made our way north to Galilee, to Nazareth. 
where now we live in peace with our wonderful child of promise and our other children too. And I haven't had any more dreams with angels since those days. Maybe four angelic visitations is enough for anyone, even a dreamer like me. But I do still dream. And I try to encourage my child to dream too, to dream of a world where men like Pharaoh and Herod and Archelaus no longer control the lives of the people. Where God's family is a community where all are welcomed and even those born in disgrace are adopted in. Together we dream of a future where the power of evil over people's lives is broken and where God's purposes of liberation are accomplished. This is my dream. A dream of God with us. And I invite you to join us in dreaming it into existence. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we surrender all to you, all that we are and all you have made us to become. We surrender, Lord. We surrender all because you have protected us in hours of need, in desolation and in deep suffering. We surrender to your kingdom and to your glory. Touch us, O Lord of God, that we may fail and be filled. That we may be filled with understanding, mercy, compassion, and love. We pray, O God, that you will have mercy on us. Sheep have gone astray, and that you lead us into the path of righteousness. For your name's sake. Your sacred flame, O God, shall forever burn in our hearts. Father God, we thank you in everything we do. We give thanks as you have commanded. We thank you for a year of troubling times, O God. A year filled with anxiety and uncertainty. A year where you have made us to be aware of our climate your relationship with mankind and our relationship to one another. Teach us to be more tolerant in troubling times. Bless us, O oh God. Heavenly Father, we remain faithful to your kingdom year on life, recognizing that you have come to live among us, but we rejected you. Forgive us to be merciful, O oh God. As we remember the reasons of your birth and life with us on earth, O oh Lord, help us to share the tidings of great joy that you have bestowed upon us. Guide us and teach us to love, to be kind to one another as you have given yourself a sacrifice that we may be whole again. In your name we pray. Amen.
Almighty God of hidden hope, grant us grace. Loving Christ of the coming kingdom, grant us faith. Living spirit of new life, grant us peace. And may the blessing of the presence of God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer, be with us all today and forevermore. Amen.